Okay. This really are two two living sermons, and uh, they basically stole half of my sermon, so that's good because we've only got a few minutes anyway. If you would turn with me to Colossians chapter three. after Philippians and before the the Thessalonian letters. And we're we're going to look, uh, spend our time in verses 12 through 17 today, but just so that you you have the whole picture together, we're going to start in verse 1 because Paul is unfolding the new life. He's, He's told us about its foundation. We've looked at that. He's told us what to put off, what to put to death. We looked at that the last time I was up here and... Now he's going to tell us what to clothe ourselves with. What does that new life look like? But I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Would you pray with me? Father, now as we study the new life, the new life that you have given us, the new life that we are to pursue. God, would you be gracious. Help us to be attentive. Help us to think through these things. And Holy Spirit, come. Come and apply your word to our hearts. Help us to be the new creatures you have called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of of the things that you learn as a first-time parent 
is that a new life means a new normal. Right? My mother-in-law, Rebecca's mom, who's a, a dear, sweet lady, gives me, gives me kind of a hard time that right after Weston was born, I was in a, I was in a fog for about three or four days because I, I had this stunning, because I'm selfish, okay, and I had this stunning realization that, I, that my life was completely different. I was not, like, I remember driving home from the hospital, passing a movie theater, and thinking, I'm not going to get to go to any movies for a long, long time, right? And so, I, like, that, that affected me, right? New children, new parents, you realize that a new life brings a new normal. Your desires change. What was once important doesn't matter so much anymore. Your behaviors change, hopefully, Right. What you used to do, you, in some cases, can no longer do. You also become very quickly aware of how selfish you can be, of how impatient and demanding you can be. A new life means um, a new normal. And that same principle applies in becoming a Christian, except that the new life is now not outside of you, but in you. You've, begin, you've been given a heart transplant. You've been given a new heart. And as new blood courses through your veins, you begin to change. You have, uh, you have a new normal. You begin to live differently, or at least that's the expectation. There will be, there has to be a change. That's what Paul is saying. And so the main idea for this for this passage today is this, that in light of what Christ has done, we can live a new life to God's glory. Now, the second part of that sentence, right, we can live a new life is impossible apart from the first. Without without what Christ has done, we will be unable to live a new life. We can make a good go at it. We might be nice people. But from the heart outward, if we do not have Christ, if we are not united to Christ, then life will ultimately not change, and we will fall flat on our faces. So in light of what Christ has done, we can live a new life to God's glory. And we're going to look at this passage in three ways. First, we're going to see that the Christian has a new identity. We see that the Christian, because of that identity, has a new character. And then... As a result of that new character, the Christian has a new walk, a new lifestyle, a new way of life. So let's talk about the Christian's new identity. You see there in verse 12, as Paul begins this command, he, he first he, he pauses and he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Right? That is, that is the description of the Christian. Chosen, holy, and beloved, or dearly loved. Right? Literally, you are, cho- you are chosen by God. Right? The, the Greek, you are God's elect. And for some of you, that, that thought, the fact that you would be chosen by God, might trouble you a little bit. That might bother you. Maybe it seems unfair. But think about how God works. Think about the story of Scripture. Think about Abram. Right? Probably not much different than some of these Colossians and no different than you or I. Abram was living in a pagan city, worshiping pagan gods, minding his own business, when God came to him and said, 
Abram, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your father. And I want you to go where I'm going to tell you to go. And I will make you a blessing for the nations. God called Abraham out. And in the process of his continually drawing Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. He gave him a promise. He gave him a covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham, right? So God's choosing of Abram transformed his life completely. You're also holy. That means set apart, right? Um, Think of it this way. If something is holy, it means that it's separated from what is common. It's set apart for, uh, for a special use. And we've already talked about that some at the very beginning, probably last year when we started in Colossians, when Paul calls us saints, that's what that means, holy ones, that we are set apart for God's special use. And so God chooses, he calls us holy, and yet deeper than all of that, he loves us. God loves the ones he chooses. God loves the ones that he sets apart, the ones he has declared holy. So it tells us that our, that our election wasn't some cold, calculated business decision. I mean, it wasn't something we did that made God love us. No, God's character is one of free, unconditional love. And he can put that love on whomever he wants. Listen to the way this is described in Deuteronomy 7. This is in the Old Testament after the people of Israel have been rescued from Egypt. God is giving them the law again, telling them how they're to live in the new land that he's giving them. And this is how he describes his love for them. He says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 7, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Listen to this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were actually the fewest of all the peoples. It wasn't because you were great. You weren't the greatest of all. In fact, you were the puniest of all. You were the weakest of all. You were the wimpiest of all. You did not have what it took to be desirable. So then you ask God, why in the world do you love people like that? And here's what he says. It is because the Lord loves you. God loves because he loves. He doesn't go any deeper than that. He doesn't explain it. God loves us because he loves us. God loves you, Christian, because he loves you. And because he loves you, he's called you out of your past. He's called you out of what you were. He set you apart. He's made you holy. And in, and in those three things, in that identity, that's where the new life begins. And that's where the new life continues, right? Adoption is a fantastic picture. And this is the part where Brandy took the words right out of my mouth. I don't know what Colton was. I don't know who Colton was going to be. But I know that Colton is now a McKinnon. I know that he will be raised a McKinnon. Right? That is 
That is who he is. He has new parents, a new mom, a new dad. That is who he is, and the rest of his life will be the process of him becoming who he is. That's really, that's really if you hear nothing else about growth in the Christian life, what Paul is calling you to is this. Be who you are. That's the, that's the motto of sanctification. And sanctification is just a, a fancy word for growing holier, for becoming holier. That's, that's why God has saved us, to make us holier, to make us like himself. And all Paul is calling us to do is to be who you are. Here's your identity. Now live it. That includes work. There's work involved in that. A lot of work will go into raising Colton. Right? A lot of work goes into raising children, period. A lot of work will go into embracing a new identity because we're not accustomed to this. We're not accustomed to holiness. We're accustomed to something else. But that doesn't mean we work for our identity. It doesn't mean we earn it with obedience. This, the list of virtues that we're about to go through, we don't, we don't earn our identity through putting on those virtues but rather because we are identified as children of the king, we can put those virtues on. And there's the difference. And if we don't catch that difference, the Christian life is going to be a hard one. We don't earn our place. We have our place. And now we grow in it. All right, so what does Paul call us to? Well, we find out that the Christian has a new character. And as I... As I was reading these verses and studying for this, I realized that I had a completely ex- different expectation for what I thought holiness was. Right? So I want you to do this. Think about it for a second. When, when you hear the word holiness in relation to a person, not in relation to God, in relation to a person, what comes to mind? You don't have to answer out loud. But what are the, what are the words that run through your mind? I remember that I, I used to spend a lot of time praying that God would help me wake up early in the morning because if I, if I could just wake up early and read the Bible and pray for a long time, that I would be holy. Now, those disciplines, right, prayer, spending time in the Word, can lead to holiness, but they are not the definition of holiness. Right? I had the wrong goal in mind. I just wanted to attain the discipline. What God says is, through those disciplines, you become something else. It's not what you do, it's who you are. What is the Christian's new character? And he gives five virtues opposed to the the five vices listed in the last section, right? Compassionate hearts, hearts that feel the needs of others. Kindness, right? A kind disposition towards people. Humility or lowliness. It's not a a, a trait appreciated. That wasn't a virtue in Paul's day, and it's not really a virtue in our day. Do we seek lowliness, humility? a, A virtue that esteems others more important than ourselves. Meekness, not weakness, but that's still that meekness is that virtue that considers others more important and is willing to waive your rights. 
You're willing to waive your own rights in relation to someone else. Patience. And I really like the old word for patience. Long-suffering. That really pictures it better, right? Because patience is, the, the virtue of patience endures wrong rather than flying into rage or vengeance. When I tell my son to be patient and wait for his breakfast, he's not having to endure wrong. He's just having to wait. So that's why I like the word long-suffering, because it's, it's almost a stronger word for the patience Paul's getting at here. A willingness to endure wrong from other people and not fly into rage, not seek vengeance. Malice or bitterness like Paul, like the old man would have. That's the, that's the character of the Christian. It's, and it's lived out as we bear with one another, as we forgive each other. Right? Paul calls us to this continual bearing and forgiving over and over again. That's to, be, that's to be the kind of activity that characterizes the life of the Christian and the life of the church. Are we a church characterized by bearing with each other, by forgiving each other? Paul knows how difficult I am. He knows how selfish I am. He knows that I'll probably offend you uh, before I, before I encourage you. And so he knows that I need to be forgiven. And that I need to forgive you. And we need to bear with one another when we have things against each other. That's the character of the Christian. And he rounds it all out by saying this. Above all these, put on love. Right? That's the virtue that wraps all of them together. want to... If you want a better treatment of what real love is, read 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard it read at a wedding, but it applies to so much more than just married people. Right? Love is patient, kind. It doesn't seek its own. As Mark said, love, real love, is selfless. And that's why it's the virtue that characterizes the new Christian, the new life. And when we love in this way, we demonstrate the love of the God who loves us. I'm going to keep, keep going quickly. The Christian also has a new walk, right? It's a walk ruled by the peace of Christ. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And he's not talking about this kind of Eastern mysticism, uh, inner tranquility, peace in your heart. He's talking, about, he's talking to the church as a whole. The peace of Christ, the fact that there is no more hostility between you and God, means that peace can rule in the church. Because as Jake preached on a few weeks back in Ephesians 2, right? because hostility has been brought to an end by Jesus, that means peace can rule between us. Not anger, not vengeance, not jealousy, but peace. Peace can rule in this body. The new walk is also centered on the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's parallel to the peace. And what I would say about this is just as, just as peace is to govern our church community, so the Word is meant to dwell in its midst. Right? That's why we spend so much time focusing on the Word. The Word is God's authoritative voice. And if we don't hear from God, if that's not at the center of who we are, we will not thrive. Right? That's why we give the most time in a worship service 
uh, to the preaching of the word, not because we appreciate the preacher's egos and they think they need to talk a long time, but because we want to give the authority of the word its due. And so the preaching of the word sits at the center of the worship service. It forms all that we do. And we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then singing, worship is even a part of that, right? We learn God's truth, and I'm so thankful for uh, a fantastic worship team that gives us music that makes us think, that gives us music built off the word that causes us to think, that teaches us truth even as we're singing. So it's not that that we just like the tune, but we, we like the tune and we're being taught truth. We're learning as we're singing. And then he summarizes the new walk by saying this in verse 17. Whatever you do and whatever you say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And just as Sharon pointed out that Jessica belongs to two kings, that's really what verse 17 is after. You now live life under the king. You are obedient to one king. We live for the king, Jesus, from the heart Outward, And that life is a life of gratitude. Paul mentions thankfulness and gratitude three times in three verses. He says, be thankful. Sing with thankfulness in your hearts. Do everything under the name of the Lord Jesus with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Or with thankfulness through him to God. Gratitude, as much as love, is characteristic of the Christian life. It's all over this letter. We are a people who love much. And we are a grateful people. We are grateful for what God has done in Christ. And we can give the glory to Him. There's a lot, there's a lot there and there's a lot to think about. And I wish that we could slow down and really investigate some of these terms. And investigate. I mean, we'll, if you are a believer, you will spend the rest of your life growing in these things and pursuing these things, some days better than others. And so we've really just begun to scratch the surface. But I'll close with this. Who remembers uh, the, the old WWJD bracelet? Right? Anybody still wear that? I saw that hand, Tim. Tim still wears this. Just kidding. Right? These, I think these became popular when, when I was a teenager saw a lot of kids in my school wearing them. And I, the idea was that, right, when you got into a particular situation, you would look at your wrist and go, okay, what would Jesus do? Right. And then I think you were supposed to say, he would not drink. I'm not going to drink. And walk away. Right. That was the idea. Or, you know, we could go even deeper than that. What, what would Jesus do? He would be patient. So I'm going to be patient. But I'm going to submit that the right question is not what would Jesus do? Because there's there's lots of times I can't do what Jesus did. The right question is what has Jesus done? And Paul has given us so many examples in this letter. Right? What Jesus has done is made you a new man or a new woman. What Jesus has done is taken that record 
of debt that stood against you and he's canceled it by nailing it to the cross. What Jesus has done is embraced my death and your death and then risen from the dead, bringing us with him, giving us new life. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has given us his spirit so that we can walk by it. So that as we strive to live lives of love and gratitude, we have a helper. We have somebody who strives with us and within us, making these things a reality. That's what Jesus has done. And that's what makes it possible for you and I to pray for compassionate hearts. I realize also in studying this week that I usually get hung up on the first list in verse, verses 5 and 8, that I usually focus on my sins. And I haven't ever spent much time thinking about the virtues I'm asked to put on. Right? I thought I was bad when I read the list of sins. Then I read the list of virtues really for the first time and was like, oh, I'm much worse than I thought I was. Right? Compassionate heart, me. Right? Patient, long-suffering, me. Human, humble. Right, But there's hope. Because if we are united to Christ, we can ask for those things. We can pray that God would work them in our lives and they will become reality. Without Christ, apart from Christ, there's no hope for that kind of growth. We can pretend to be compassionate. We can pretend to be humble. We can pretend to be patient. But with Jesus, we are being transformed. We are being renewed in the image of our Creator. And so that's where I would stop. The only way those beautiful virtues, the only way this new character, this new walk replaces your old character, your old walk, is if you are united to Christ. Are you one with the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted in His grace? Are you trusting Him to transform your heart? Let me pray. God, our prayer is that, that you, would, that you would transform us, that we would take the word to heart, that we would be people characterized by love that shows itself in compassion, humility, lowliness, long-suffering, that we would live lives of, of gratitude, Gratitude because of what you have done for us in Christ. Because we have been adopted. We've been called son. We've been called daughter by the king. And our lives are now lived under your reign. God, for those who don't know you, for those who have not submitted to your rule, for those who are are not one with you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day of change. Work in our hearts. Sow these truths deep and transform us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.